Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Walton Community Church. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Children, if you have a children's Bible, you usually have an illustration at the beginning of your Bible. So you'll have a picture to look at if you have a little Bible while I preach. That should help assist you. If you're new to God's Word, it's the first book of the Bible. It's an easy one to find. I battled quite a while thinking about what I would preach this day. Because it's Christmas, it's going to be a little more topical. Um, I'm not used to just jumping into a topic, usually going into a book. And I thought a lot about Genesis 3.20. That's going to kind of serve as, uh, or 21, serve as a springboard text uh, for today. But to give us context, we're going to be reading in verse 16 through 21. The word of the Lord says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorn and thistle it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. We find in Genesis 3, the fall. This is a heavy passage where everything was beautiful and bliss. Everything was was right with the world. Perfect paradise. Man and woman enjoyed one another without any hostility, without any fear, apprehensions. They enjoyed God in the coolness of the day, and they delighted in him, and he delighted in them as well. And then we find that there is a serpent that approaches the woman. In verse 1 through 6a, he entices her. This piece of fruit is so much better than the will of God for you. Then... Eve evaluates it, and she approaches her husband in in 6b. Adam likes the lady just fine. He looks at the fruit, and why not? From that, they discover their nakedness. They experience shame and guilt for the first time, and they run. In verse 14 through 19, God approaches them, And he pronounces punishment. It's to be administered first to the serpent, 
then to Eve, then to Adam. They stand while receiving these punishments. They stand naked before their judge, before their God, before their creator. They stand condemned. Though there are excuses, it doesn't erase or negate their guilt. They are estranged, completely estranged. What was that serpent doing here in the first place? And and then Adam, this woman you gave me, she just starts tempting me. And they're wearing fig leaves in front of God. There is complete estrangement. And they are terrified. Why are they terrified? You could go down a whole, whole Rolodex. The simple one is they're going to die. What does that look like? They, they've seen Eden in its beautiful paradise. You might be like me, very godly and love the mountains and just love to stare at, at trees and, and the leaves, how they change color and smell that air and see the, the birds fly. You might be more like my mother where you like to go to the beach and just see the waves go back and forth. Adam was involved in naming and discovering this stuff and cultivating it and growing it and managing it. The creative mind that made those things into being has promised, I will come after you. I will slay you if you don't follow my commandments. So they have been figured out. They have been sentenced to death. They've been found unfaithful. And they have to own up that they have exalted themselves. There's been a lot of hope in this passage, and it's easy for us to look past. I come across Genesis 3 with a lot of religious people and non-religious people, and they see God as just some severe tyrant, but there is profound grace and hope and, and pictures of salvation and trust and attempts of reconciliation in chapter 3, and I don't want us to, to forget those things. Students, like eight years old to 20-something whenever you graduate college. Might take you an extra year like me. They're going to say, how cruel is God? They ate an apple. You're going to say fruit. You're going to be technical. It could have been a papaya. You don't know. And you're going to say, well, look at, look, at, look at verse 15. There will be a seed through the woman. This seed, this child will crush the head of the serpent. God tells them, you rebelled against me, but I'm going to use you, your offspring. Through that, one will come. And the bite that the serpent brings and the curse and the lies, they will be silenced under their foot. That's grace. He could have annihilated All of them right there. But that's for another day. That's not in that moment. They're left completely vulnerable. 
I can't think of a more vulnerable situation than being fully undressed and exposed. And there they are. However, there is grace in here. We get to verse 21, and God decides to clothe them before he banishes them from the garden. Remember, they're wearing, they're wearing fig leaves. Um, I don't think they're probably very impressive, though I, I think Adam and Eve were both geniuses. God did not find that very fitting. This Christmas, I want us to see Jesus' birth as the means by which repentant people are covered. The psalmist says, How blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus is our covering as well as our sacrifice. After God pronounces the consequences of sin, God tears the skin off of a beast. I wonder what that looked like for Adam and Eve. They did God wrong. What was it like for them to to visualize that? To see it. To hear that first cry of death. Then after that, action. God takes that skin and he places it over them. I wonder what that did to their mind. I wonder how their soul quaked in that moment. So why does Why does God do this? Why does God not slay them, but go to an innocent beast of the field, rip off its flesh, and clothe his children? Well, he rejected the way in which they sought to cover themselves. They sinned, and and they had an idea of how they can fix the problem. I've been thinking about the Chiquita banana lady with all the fruit on her head. It wasn't like that, I don't think. I, don't, I, couldn't, I can't get a visual of Adam wearing grapes and a banana and kiwi on his head. But I imagine it looked ridiculous to God. You're putting fig leaves on yourself? You're thinking no one's going to notice you? You think that, that, that out performs how I have made you and intentionally fashioned you? Do you think this is going to hide you from sin? I remember early days of seminary. Amber and I had no money. No money. And and we got like 35, 45 bucks somewhere. And at seminary, you need a sports coat. You need a blazer. So I went to Burlington Coat Factory And I bought my first blazer. It might have been like an Easter Sunday or something. I put that baby on. I made sure it stayed in the bag the entire time. And when I pulled it out, I made sure no lint was on it. I think this was before Naphtali, so I didn't have to worry about spit up. 
And for some odd reason, we came to the front. I don't know if we were joining in membership of Carlisle Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if we were sharing a testimony of our time there. But for whatever reason, I come up and I have, I believe, my bow tie, which I love. My blazer. I don't wear that for you all, by the way. My blazer. And we have our little whatever it was. I don't remember the event. That wasn't the thing that I remember. As I come back to the pew, my friend John Powell says, that's a nice new blazer you got there, Daniel. I said, yeah, man, how'd you know? The white stitching's in the back. I saw, everyone saw it. <laughs> I guess for blazers, you, you, you like, I won't model for you. But, 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 but they, they stitch it together, the coat, so it holds well and it looks real professional. So I had this big old white X on my rear end. How prestigious that bow tie looked in that moment. It's silly. I'm going to cover myself up with, with fig leaves and all will be well and no one will notice it. That's like foolish, like the kid who's eating chocolate chip cookies, chocolate all over their face, they're stuffed, and they're telling you they didn't do it, it was the dog. Here they stand before God and he's saying, No, I'm going to remove these leaves. And God does not leave them naked. He judges them. In love, he says, I know you have sinned. There will be consequence. There's hope. Genesis 15. One will come, but there is also love. I will cast you out from paradise, but you will not go Naked. So he dresses them. What kind of clothing is this? Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. In this clothing, the Lord provides a sacrifice in their place. An innocent life must end for sin to be covered. This act of covering is, is described throughout Scripture as clothing. Not only is this a leather jacket, leather moccasins, leather toga, this is a sacrifice. This is why Jesus came. We need a, a permanent sacrifice. We need to be clothed in righteous garments before our God to approach him. I know Adam and Eve lived for a very, very long time. I imagine that leather wore out. They would have to provide for themselves more clothing. And in addition, in our life, we sin constantly before our Lord. And to be in relationship with a holy God that cannot look upon sin, there must be something that deals with that problem that we all have. Turning to Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. I'm going to read. I don't think you'll have time to find Zechariah. Speaking of clothing. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with vestal robes. Paul also speaks of atonement, of sacrifice as clothing. Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Again, the apostle says in Romans 13, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to lusts. We find in verse 21 a trajectory from this nakedness that sacrifice must be made. This becomes the standard way in which the saints approach God. With not having a lot of information in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God. We, don't, we, we learn from that experience, not all sacrifice is acceptable to the Lord. Some are, some aren't. We also find Noah brings sacrifice. Abraham brings sacrifice. It becomes a part of Israel's DNA. They understand in order to, pro- to approach a holy God, innocent, sinless life must be spilt. So they had the Passover. So they had the Day of Atonement. And these times in which goats, bulls, birds would be opened up and their blood poured out. Paul tells us of the Passover in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus visits this earth because we are in need of being clothed. So you will hear that there are, there are ways in which you can better yourself. You might have beautiful practices, very disciplined. You might be very kind. You might be much higher in patience than I am. You might show some great self-control. But the reality stands before our God, we stand condemned. And we're in need of this covering. And he chose to do so. In Genesis 3, not only does he kill this animal, he makes the garment. He knows how he formed them. He, know how, he knows how it's, it's, it's going to fit. He didn't know how to put on pants or a shirt, or a hat, shoes, socks. Eve didn't know how to cover herself. Don't you see in this is a lovingly father providing for them. Our sin should make us uncomfortable. If you're comfortable with it, you need prayer. 
But because we're uncomfortable from sin, that estrangement stands between us and God. So we take our own fig leaves and we say, I'm okay. I'm holding up all right. But the Lord sees it for what it is. Temporary, childish, man-made, unacceptable. Not used to using notes today. So an application we can learn from this is to receive this child that comes, Jesus, to clothe us in his righteousness. We can learn of God's love and care. I I want us to see something in this passage in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because... She was the mother of all the living. He calls her woman. After this punishment, he gives her a name. Life will come from her. I I point that out. So so when people say, God is so harsh for, for condemning and judging these people, you tell me all the curses, sins, diseases, torments, tragedies in this life happen because of this. At the end of this, Adam says, I'm going to name my wife. She's named her woman. Now I'm going to give her a proper name. Life will come from her. Adam sees God's grace. He sees his sin, which allows him to better see God's grace. When your sin is very real, make God's grace very real real. And if you do not see your sin, beloved, I pray the Spirit will convict you and that you will not feel comfortable with it by the end of today. And that you will need to approach Christ to take away that torment. There's also another purpose for this. First uh, Peter chapter 2, I'll try and give you some time to find that. It's at the end of the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2. We'll be in verse 21 through 25. First Peter chapter 2. Peter writes... For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 
Peter tells us the application is not just behold God's grace, but to follow in Christ's likeness. We are to imitate him. We are to desire to be righteous as he was righteous. Now that we are covered in his blood, washed of our sins, we are to follow as faithful sheep to our shepherd. The righteous and humble also, application, get to enjoy God. They get to enjoy him. He's, he's not that guilty conscience in the background. He's not that archaic tradition from great family member from long, long ago. He's not the cultural expectation that you feel is a bit outdated and awkward and clunky. The righteous and the humble also get to enjoy God. When Christ comes down on earth as a babe, Mary enjoys her child. He has lowered himself lower than the angels. He's become frail and delicate like any child. And guess what Jesus needs? Guess how he's identified for those searching for him? As a child wrapped in cloth, swaddling clothes. He becomes one of us yet innocent. God allowed for us to enjoy him, to touch him, and in a very real way, care for him. That intimate relationship a mother has with a child is like no other relationship. I love my wife most. But the way in which all four of my children cling to her is mysterious. We have several photos in my cell phone where I can be on a long couch sprawled out to exaggerate my freedom. Amber can be in a chair with four children, the dog and the cat. I'm not as kind as Amber. I'm not going to pretend. But, but that is the kind of bond a mother has with her child. And the Son of God, the second member in the Trinity, came down to experience that with us. He ordained it. He predestined it. He designed it in that way. In this moment, he slays this beast. He clothes these offenders. And he knows in the future, I will send my son. And you will enjoy an intimate relationship of holding and comforting and caring for me. The righteous and the humble enjoy God and come close to him. The hard-hearted, the rebellious, those who lack faith, they don't enjoy him. They might enjoy status. They might enjoy culture and acceptance, but they don't enjoy God. If you're young and if you're in a Christian home, your parents enjoy God, I want to encourage you to enjoy God.
If you're an older adult and you know the proper etiquette in a church, but you don't know God, let me entice you to not be miserable, to not feel continually naked, to feel terrified like you have to hide. But come to the Father who has provided a perfect sacrifice and who is ready to clothe you in his righteousness and not your facade. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that it's the season of Christmas where songs about your son coming down on earth are abundant. I pray as we enjoy this season, we would think of the gift of Christ continually, that we would celebrate it in our homes. We thank you for coming and clothing us. In Christ's name, amen.